0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week for worship, as well as other activities during the week. Welcome to you all. Be you people for whom this is your spiritual home. Be you newcomers, visitors. Do feel at home here today. Outside, it's a wet autumnal day. But let us turn our attention inwards for a while as we spend this hour in worship together. Take a moment perhaps to think of that world outside. Perhaps the issues that concern you. Turbulent world events. Turbulence in your own community or within yourself. And then perhaps if you can, allow those outside issues to rest a while, perhaps even to be left at the door as we focus today on here and now. Welcome, welcome to you all. We could use this candle, this one candle, this one small flame, to light a thousand other candles and its light would not be diminished in the slightest. May we trust in a similar abundance in life that all might know peace and prosperity, justice and freedom, acceptance and love. May this small flame remind us today of infinite possibility. This, this story that I'm going to tell now um, has, has many forms, and, and I suspect many of you will have heard it in one form or another. I've come to think it's one of the stories that I should just always carry around with me. It clearly has a personal message. Um, this, this particular version is from the Buddhist tradition, and it's called Let's Wait and See. And it's told that uh, once upon a time in China there lived a, a farmer, a farmer who had a, a wonderful, strong, young son, the envy of the neighbourhood for his hard work. And the farmer's friends would often congratulate him on his good luck at having such a fine son. There, eh, you can help him <coughs> you with your work, can't he? And when you're old, he'll be able to look after you. And whenever his friends said something like this, the farmer would reply, ''Well, maybe I'm lucky, maybe I'm not lucky. We'll have to wait and see.'' And one day, the farmer's prized stallion ran off, and when the farmer's neighbours heard about his loss, they came around to commiserate. ''Oh, dear, how sad. Such a valuable horse. Now it's gone. How unlucky for you.'' ''Well, maybe it's lucky, maybe it's unlucky. Let's wait and see,'' replied that farmer. And a week later, the stallion, the stallion returned, and while it had been out in the open country, so good-looking was that stallion that it had picked up a herd of 20 wild mares. <laughs> and they'd followed him back to the farm. The farmer's friends, as you can imagine, came immediately round to congratulate him on this amazing good fortune. How strange, they said, you lost one horse and now you have 20 extras. What a stroke of luck. Yeah, maybe it was lucky, maybe not so lucky. <laughs> "'Let's wait and see,' replied that farmer. You could start to get irritated with this bloke, couldn't you, at this point? (laughs) The farmer's son had done the, the job of breaking those horses so that they could be sold. He'd left the most difficult mare till the last. One of those mares was just so wild and so strong that she threw that young man, however good a rider he was, threw him to the ground. He landed with such force that he broke his leg.' And when the farmer's friends came round and heard the news, well, they were sympathetic for you. Gosh, who's going to help you with the farm now? What about your son? Will the leg get mended? Gosh, he's not going to be able to work for a few months, is he? What bad luck. Maybe it's bad luck, maybe not. We'll have to wait and see, replied the farmer. And then, the very next day, the Empress sent out a notice that all the able-bodied young men had to join the army to fight in a war. That young man with the splint on his leg had to stay at home. And in a couple of months, he was better and had to face the fact that many of his friends had died in the war. Bad luck, good luck, let's wait and see. There's a, there's a quote on the front of your order of service sheet from, from Osho remain open and trust innocently unconditionally and this this reading is taken from his book of, of meditations Osho, I don't know if you, you know Osho Heidi does um, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh a most uh, complex uh, nuanced character who got into a lot of trouble in the end and w- was, was in a way discredited and yet Strangely, I think his his spiritual messages have a remarkable um, uh, clarity and strength about them, even so. Despite his 16 white Rolls Royces, here are his words on trust. Always remember that at no cost should you become mistrustful. Even if your trust allows others to deceive you, this is better than not to trust. It's very easy to trust when everybody is loving and nobody is deceiving you. But even if the whole world is deceptive and everybody is bent on deceiving you and they can only deceive you when you trust, then too, go on trusting. Never lose trust in trust, whatever the cost. And you will never be a loser because trust in itself is the ultimate end. It should not be a means to anything else. It has its own intrinsic value. If you can trust, you can remain open. People become closed as a defence so that nobody can deceive them or take advantage of them. Let them take advantage of you. If you insist on continuing to trust, then a beautiful flowering happens because then, then there is no fear. The fear is that people will deceive. But once you accept that... There is no fear. There is no barrier to your opening. The fear is more dangerous than any harm anybody can ever do to you. This fear can poison your whole life. So remain open and just trust, innocently, unconditionally. You will flower and you will help others to flower once they become aware that they've not been deceiving you a bit, but they have been deceiving themselves. You cannot go on deceiving a person endlessly if that person continues to trust you. The very trust will throw you back to yourself again and again. I suspect I could study that for the rest of my life (laughs) and we could discuss it. do you know know the story of the the Jewish father whose little son I mean actually there's a picture on the front just to illustrate this this story Uh, his uh, little son was standing up on a wall and as children sometimes do um, he shouted out catch me dad and jumped towards his father's outstretched arms But this loving father, instead of catching his son, moved to one side and let the boy fall to the floor. The child looked up at his dad and asked through his tears, Why didn't you catch me? And the father replied, Because you need to learn an important lesson in life, son, and learn it whilst you're young. Trust nobody. I checked this story out with a couple of Jewish friends as to its political correctness, I want you to know. And they reckon that this kind of earthy realism is a mark of their own Jewish upbringing and and that its common sense message we went on to talk about, it actually pervades human interactions, doesn't it? We are taught, most of us, to be sensible, to watch our backs, to guard our own self-interests. But if we move into the world of therapy and personal growth, the call to explore our boundaries of trusting, well, that is heard loud and clear. No wonder then that the drama therapy movement developed so many trust games to help people explore their feelings of trust and distrust. You've perhaps been taken on a blindfold walk by, by someone and, and been given various sensory experiences to enjoy. Or maybe you've stood in a a circle of people and uh, you've been in the middle and gently allowed your body to fall towards someone, trusting that they'll gently pass your body weight to the next person whilst you remain soft and pliant, accepting and trusting. Uh, Some of uh, these exercises can be taken to more extreme lengths, and some of these I have experienced. Years ago, now I've got to say, even thinking about them now makes me go hot and cold. I probably wouldn't recommend them to many of us. Uh, Years ago, when I was working as a drama teacher, we invited a theatre group to work with uh, my class of 13-year-olds, and we focused on trust. So able were these youngsters to let go that we graduated quickly to more advanced exercises. And the final task involved a chair set on top of a a, a proper-sized table. Two of us held the chair legs to stop uh, the chair slipping. Everyone else stood in front of the chair in two rows with their arms outstretched. And the person who stood on the chair on top of the table simply had to just let themselves go and fall into the outstretched arms. It was a remarkably successful morning! (laughs) To fall in that way and feel yourself caught by others, it's a wonderful experience. And then it came to Chris Martin's turn. It was not the easiest of youngsters, in fact he was an expert in making other people's lives difficult both at home and at school. He found it hard to take instructions and that's perhaps why when we told him to let himself fall rather like a felled tree trunk might fall, Chris instead leapt from that chair. (laughs) Dived really and propelled himself so effectively that we all watched in da- dawning horror as he kind of dived head first past all the outstretched arms and, and then landed head first onto the concrete classroom floor beyond. He knocked himself out. I had to drive him to hospital and then I had to go round to his parents that night to apologise. They blessed them, told me that I shouldn't have bothered, that he was perfectly all right now. And in any case, his mum said, our Christopher is such a pain in the backside, we wouldn't have minded if he dived straight out of that window. Trust. I think it's always been an issue for humanity. We have imaginations, don't we? And once you have an imagination, you know that things can go wrong in life, but do you, like me, have that feeling that trust is, a, is really a, becoming a key theme in this early 21st century? There seems to be an increasing sense of unease around us. Can we trust our politicians, our bankers, our public servants, our newspapers? Can we trust people who are different from us in some way? Can we trust the economic system that, frankly, all our lives are, are built upon? At times such as these, it's all the more important then that people with a spiritual foundation to their lives provide a more calming and steady viewpoint. But of course, religious groups themselves may use the spirit of the time, this sense of unease, to help strengthen their own message. Uh, Michaela, who's a member here and who is even now winging her way to Germany, she read me an emailed story from a friend of hers, Telling of an encounter on her doorstep in New York that happened shortly after the 9 11 terrorist attacks. She saw two dark suited figures approaching her door and wondered who they were. They knocked, she opened the door, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And and as she opened that door to one of them, a young woman opened her Bible and began to speak of the need to trust in the Lord. And referring to the recent atrocities in New York, she said, Look at our world. You can't trust anyone anymore, can you? Michaela's friend experienced a moment of absolute stillness and emptiness at that point as she heard those words, You can't trust anyone anymore, can you? With the added bit, with those guys out there. Meaning those who might commit terrorist attacks in the future. And then Michaela's friend described a moment of clarity that came upon her as she replied, On the contrary, all there is, is trust. She went on, speaking to the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I thank you, but do you know all that I do is trust. And this is none of my merit, it's how I am built. How we are all built, I believe. And besides, trust or not... We will all seemingly be betrayed or let down some time in life, trusting or not. But it's so much lighter and easier to trust than not. So that's why I just trust. This stopped that dark suited woman completely in her tracks. Unusual, this woman said, for Jehovah's Witnesses. And apparently she just closed her Bible and said, God bless you. And I said, God bless you and the guys out there. And off they went. And after that, I realised that I'd been shown what had always been that way. There is only trust. Trust, she said to her, was like a joy, like an unearned gift. Always there. Now this is the message, isn't it, that Osho was delivering in that reading earlier on. Trust, not as a means to an end, but as trust in trust itself, in life itself, despite everything, despite all evidence to the contrary. Trust, trust, trust. Another word for it might be faith. Not faith as in our adherence to a particular set of beliefs or doctrines or allegiance to a particular religious group, Faith rather as an unfolding process, what Buddhist writer Sharon Salzberg describes as trusting our own deepest experiences. For her, faith is a verb, not a noun. It's something that we do rather than have. Our faith must be acted on, renewed again and again as we live our lives and we respond to the events that occur around us there's a classic book, if you're interested in this sort of thing, uh, called Stages of Faith, The Psychology of Human Development. It's written by James Fowler, and in that he identifies six stages of faith development in human beings. Now actually, his, his very clear six stages of development have been critiqued by other academics, but they're still well regarded as a system of showing how we develop from our earliest years, you know, from that very early childhood when we we trust everything that we're told by those around us, that we mirror back the beliefs that we see or hear, assuming all the while that people see things exactly like we do. How we then move into a more literalist stage around the age of eight, all the way through to adolescence, where we we put a great deal of trust in in stories and explanations that are understood literally. And we transit from that stage to the next at the point where where we go, hold on a minute, there's a contradiction in that story. That doesn't make sense to me anymore. And we start to reflect. Fowler then describes the early adult stage as a a very loyal phase where we belong to a group and and want to conform. We then perhaps... (laughs) transit to being more of a searcher. Um, we no longer trust old authorities or that, that group. We're searching for our own answers, new frameworks of meaning. And, of course, some people stop at each of these stages. And I think, I think often this is the stage that we Unitarians are at. We are seeking in some way. Um, we're placing trust in the search itself and the questions We may also develop further. Stage five in Fowler's um, system is is a a point where we realise that clear answers might never be found. We start to trust more in the ambiguities of life. That's the good news, bad news. Let's wait and see. Who can tell? And then finally, um, Fowler identifies a stage that, that... According to him, few of us reach, but, you know, you never know. He, he says this is the stage of, of Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed, etc. The universal spirit stage where one trusts the universality of all life. And um, that call is trusted completely and fully, no matter where it takes you in life. Now, you can see it's quite a rigid system Um, It might be better to have a kind of spiral model of faith development where we gain new perspectives and go back to old learnings with with that new perspective. Or we might see our faith development as waves upon the shore, ebbing and flowing as we respond to life. But whatever model we use, any of us who have chosen a spiritual path in life, there are going to be times, aren't there, where we need to assess and reassess our faith Years ago I spent time with a spiritual director grappling with issues of my own faith and I'll always remember the session when she gently said to me after listening to weeks of my questions and my doubts and my confusions and in the end she said, Sarah, it's all about trust and the question is, will you trust? Will you trust yourself? Will you trust life? Will you trust whatever you choose to name as a higher power in your life? Be that God. Be that the universe, be that great spirit, the ground of all being. It's all about trust. And those words have stayed with me ever since. Now, of course, in any exploration of trust, we've got to acknowledge how very different our life experiences might be. Some people have to endure experience that others of us may only read of in books or newspapers. Some people are challenged beyond all imagining in this world. What is remarkable, I think, is that despite everything, in the direst of circumstances, some people still remain open and trusting. They overcome situations that would leave many of us bitter and resigned. Instead, they retain that childlike trust. Trust, faith, call it what you will, but it lifts them beyond bitterness, beyond resentment, beyond resignation, to a far lighter place where they retain that innocent trust in themselves, in life, and in trust itself. This is the place in which we can say, good luck, bad luck, let's wait and see. We know that life will not always go our way, but we trust in something deeper, something that resides both within our very core and beyond any sense of our individual identity. That will enable us to adapt and to respond to whatever occurs. Such levels of trust do not mean that we lose our powers of discernment. That Arabian proverb that you'll find on your order of service sheet. Trust in Allah, but tie up your camel. That expresses the value of good sense. But there are so many ways to tie up a camel, aren't there? (laughs) We can tie up a camel fearfully or resentfully. We can tie up a camel with pinched, anxious, suspicious hearts and minds. Or we can tie up a camel with joy and humour and an acceptance that with the best knots in the world, our camel may or may not be there in the morning. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. Amen. At times we may receive... Fragments of holiness, glimpses of eternity, brief moments of insight. Let us gather them up for the precious gifts that they are and, renewed by their grace, move boldly into the unknown that is life. Amen. Go well and blessed be.